Well, I told the early service crowd, I'm reminded of the preacher who was uh, substituting for a friend with the flu. Somebody uh, had cut the grass the week before and accidentally uh, shot a rock through one of the windows, patched it up with a piece of cardboard so the air conditioning wouldn't get out. And, and, and so the preacher was standing there to fill in that day. And he says, I'm just filling in today. I, I look over here at this window and I'm like that piece of cardboard just holding a place. I'm not the real thing. I'm just filling the place. And on the way out the door, one of the sweet ladies wanted to speak a word of encouragement to him. And, and she says, preacher, you're not just a piece of cardboard. You are a real pain. <laughs> now, the real thing will be back next week. <laughs> and we'll be glad to have our pastor home. But if you will, turn with me now in your Bibles to Gal uh, Genesis, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not where God took him. Pastor assigned me the topic, how to walk with God. And we'll start with here. Enoch walked with God. And he was not where God took him. I have a friend. His mother was on up in years. And she was in her last, last days. And he was coming home from the hospital. And received a text from his son. He pulled over to the side of the road to, to answer the text. How's, how's Granny? And so he was texting and trying to get it to go and trying to send it and trying to send it. It wouldn't go. He was trying to send the text back, almost gone. But autocorrect got one for right, got one right for a change. And it said, almost home. Well, that's where Enoch was. One day... Enoch, walking with God, heard the Lord say, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me today? And to his home he went. You know, heaven is supposed to be a natural transition, not a case of culture shock. It is supposed to be a continuation and an intensification to be just what we hoped it would be, only better. Walk with God relationally. Walk with God relationally. You know, we have in Palisade, one of the wonderful things about small towns is they take care of everybody. One of our people we kind of took care of a little bit was Carl Wayne. Everybody in town gave him a ride somewhere at some point. 
He couldn't drive. and uh, He was kind of special needs. But he could be a lot of fun. He had a great personality. Everybody knew him. He had more name recognition than the mayor. And, and on the radio, because he had a friend named Michael who could probably be in any market anywhere in the country, but, you know, he, he sticks to home and t- tries to make the town a better place. And Michael grew up near Carl Wayne. And he'd go knock on Carl Wayne's door, even though Carl Wayne's a little bit older, so he'd come, come play football with him. Carl Wayne go play football. He'd come anytime he wanted him to. And was always a good friend to Michael. And so Michael remained a good friend to him. Well, being in the media, you know, he'd get tickets to these nice golf courses and venues and places to go. He'd have multiple tickets. He'd take Carl Wayne with him. Well, Carl Wayne could be a little loud and maybe a little awkward and say things that might make people pay attention. But Michael was never embarrassed by Carl Wayne. He was his friend. And he stuck with him. Well, Leviticus 26, 12. Listen to what God said. I will walk among you and be your God. And you shall be my people. We've given the Lord a lot of good reasons to be embarrassed by us. But the Lord says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. We can walk with God relationally. This is how Jesus approached his ministry. It was relational in nature. Vaughn Parrish wrote this. He called his disciples to himself, and with him they were. As he pulled off, jaw-dropping miracles. They wiped their mouths with the crowd as Jesus fed thousands with a joyful meal. Their ears were scandalized as Jesus tenderly responded to the woman with the issue of blood. They had front row seats as he fleshed out the kingdom of God, bending their ears with riveting stories. They slunk Back in fright as demons drooled and foamed and gagged confession of his lordship. They were there almost every moment, clueless as to what might come next. They were with him. We can walk with God relationally. Now, we can't walk with Jesus, like he did in his earthly ministry. So what do we do? How do we go about this? Well, we have to maintain a vibrant devotional life, for one thing. Reading his word and engaging in serious prayer. Let me say to you, if if your quiet time has gotten a little stale, if you're in the dry, barren wilderness, go buy you a new Bible. There's nothing like the smell of a new Bible. Get a good one. Don't get one of those little cheapo Bibles. Spend some money on it like you would if you were buying your kid a baseball bat or something. And set an appointment time and meet with God. Listen for the voice of God. Now, I want to warn you when you listen for the voice of God. He will not talk your head off. 
You might remember the little poem, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way. Well, God will not do that. There is a sentence here and a penetrating question there. Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? Cain, why are you angry? Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Elisha, why are you here? Oh, the questions. It's asked and it's silent. <laughs> How often that will happen when you walk with God. We must walk being alert to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Bible assumes that we're going to hear the voice of God. As, as Romans 8 says it, uh, all who are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. It assumes we will be led by the Spirit. We walk with God relationally. Secondly, though, we walk in alignment. We line up with his ways. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways. There's your key phrase there. To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. As Amos put it, can two walk together except they be agreed? For us to walk with God, we have to walk with him. Because God is not going to walk in our ways. As 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's where we'll find him. And that's where the alignment has to take place. Well, I'm going to just tell you. This alignment thing, it's a lifetime process, and it's the great challenge of life. I mean, as we grow, I mean, the Lord begins to show us, oh, I used to think of that as a little thing. The Lord sees that more seriously than I used to. He begins to show us sin in areas where we didn't know we had areas. He begins to show us what he expects of us in terms of our thoughts and our attitudes as well as our words and our actions. You say, how do I do that? Life change can be hard. Well, it's a matter of obedience. I mean, there's a lot in the Christian life of just gritting your teeth and making the right choice. Just grit your teeth and make the right choice. But there is something that there is a dynamic that just changes things. Miles Stanford described it this way. Don't try to be like him. Just be occupied with him. He meant by that it's a transformational focus. I remember going to Camp Cosby a few light years ago. And, and there was a story one morning in the devotional. 
And I, I still remember this guy telling it. There was a kid who grew up in this village. They needed to be delivered. I don't remember the details of what from, but they needed to be delivered. They needed a rescuer. And they had a statue erected, not to someone from the past, but to someone who was to come. This person they were expecting to come and rescue their village. And, and he was told about, this person is going to come one day, and he is going to set us free. He is going to liberate us. He's going to rescue us. Well, most of the other kids didn't pay that much attention to it, but he did. It just stuck with this kid. Almost every day, he would go by the park, the town square, and look at the statue. Often, he would sit down on the bench and just reflect on this person who is coming, study the features in his face and the strength of resolve and the courage and the goodness that was in the face of the person depicted in this statue. He thought, wouldn't it be great to have this rescuer come and to save us and rescue our, our village? Every day, almost, he was there studying the features of this statue and thinking about this coming person. And one day, the rescuer arrived and delivered the village. And it was the little boy who grew up totally focused on that statue and became that upon which he had placed his focus. It's a transformational focus. Third, walk with God humbly. Here's one of God's greatest hits, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, that word for humbly there means to be careful. To be careful to live the way God wants us to live. To live in dependence upon the Father. You know, sometimes we'll face something and we'll say, okay, God, I got this one. <laughs> to live in dependence upon the Father. In deference to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. To walk humbly with God. Now, the thing is, this is really hard. I mean, who can write the book, Humility and How I Achieved It? My daughter was talking last week about, in a conversation with us, about someone she had had a conversation with and said, this person told me in this conversation three times how humble they were. She thought, and she said, I thought, if you're so humble, why do you need to tell me this, you know? You know, sometimes we can think of ourselves as being so accomplished that we have a lot to be proud of. But the truth is, we have so much to be humble about. We say, well, how do you work on this humility thing? Well, let me just say this. The best advice I ever heard was concentrate not on being humble, but on not being proud. That'll humble you. 
R.T. Kendall lists some things in his book, The Power of Humility. He points out some places we find pride. We find pride in boasting. And I, I might add the humble brag. You see it on social media. So honored to be with so-and-so today, which is really a way of saying, look who I'm hanging out with. Fishing for compliments. A judgmental attitude toward others. Self-righteousness, which features a lot of self. Keeping up appearances and trying to save face. And self-pity, which is not one you would think of right off. But it says, it, it, it works on the assumption self-pity does. I deserve better than this. And what I deserve is to go to hell on a fast jet. First Peter 5, 6 gives us some thoughts on this humility thing. It, it says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. A clear view of God will humble you. Isaiah found that in chapter 6. Because when we see God exalted, we see our weakness. When we see God's holiness, we see our sinfulness. And when we stand in front of Jesus, whose eyes are a flame of fire, and like laser beams pierce our very soul to see the very core of our being, we see our accountability. Yeah. We have to try to walk less prideful as we walk with God. Nobody struts and walks with God. And fourth, walk before God. Now in Genesis chapter 17, Abram, still going by Abram, not Abraham yet. He was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me. Walk before me. There's your phrase. Walk before me and be blameless. Literally, walk before my face. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon picked up the same phrase and used it. He was dedicating the temple. It was a big day. It was a huge day for Solomon. And he comes to the Lord and spreads out his hands. And he leads in a prayer. And it says, he prayed, Oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants, here it comes, who walk before you with all their heart. You know, the truth is, by nature, we're self-protective. We want to avoid the hurt of conviction, the pain of repentance, the humiliation of seeing our own selves through holy eyes. But we have to drop some of that. You know, the truth is, the Lord knew what he got when he saved you. He knew what he was getting when he saved you. There is no need keeping up pretenses with him. He already knows. You have no secrets from God. No need pretending. So our goal, 
Our goal is to have a heart that is open wide. A life before God that has nothing to hide. An open book before God. The most helpful, the best tweet I ever read was this. It says, oh no, I've messed up. I can't let dad know. Second line. Oh no, I've messed up. I got to go tell dad. Because we do have a father who is bigger than our problems. Bigger than our failures. Oh no, I got to go tell dad. Who knows exactly what to do to pick up the pieces and move on from here. Yeah. If we're going to walk with God, we have to do so relationally. If we're going to walk with God, we're going to have to walk in alignment. We walk with Him. We're going to have to do so without strutting. We're going to have to do so in humility. And then we have to walk before God. When you hang out with Jesus, all the places you will go, all the powers He will show, and his secrets you will know. Not just the things that to church we relate, not merely money in the offering plate, nor superficial trappings from the religious state, but hanging out with Jesus. Seeing him in unexpected ways, your thoughts read by his piercing gaze, exposing subtle schemes which our mind plays, when we hang out with Jesus. There is the insightful bolt that will jolt the precision of his laser straight path, the violence of his righteous wrath, if you dare to hang out with Jesus. Surprising words you will hear, boiling up from your heart, your deepest fear, and unembarrassed your saddest tear when hanging out with Jesus. He will take you through the worst neighborhood. The internal stranger will be dreadfully understood. But the place he chooses is safer than you would when you hang out with Jesus. Let us bow for prayer. And as we pray, might be you want to kind of pray as I pray. Maybe there's something about your walk with God that you want to communicate with God about. Perhaps you want to say to him, Lord, I see I need to recalibrate in this way or that because I heard your spirit speaking to me during the message. And it was very specific. I heard you, Father. I'll obey. Father, we pray that you'd help us to walk with you, to walk closer to you, to walk more obediently in better alignment, to be less prideful as we walk with you, that we might bear your presence more, to walk before you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.